You're listening to the Sandpaper Marriage Podcast with Greg and Michelle McGahey. Real people, real marriage, real help. Hello again, friends. Thank you for listening to the Sandpaper Marriage Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the roles of a husband and wife and what the Bible has to say. This episode was a request by a couple of our listeners. Okay, everyone, let's all think back to one week before our wedding day. I have no doubt that we each desired to be pleasing to our mates, but what in the world happened? We're exhausted, tension is filling the air, and instead of being life-giving, our marriages are life-draining. This is the relationship that neither one of us thought we would have. If marriage is to be a picture of Christ and his bride, the church, we're not even close. I challenge everyone to put aside any preconceived notions and let's listen with fresh ears what the Bible has to say about this and how we can all practically apply biblical principles to our marriages. Okay, so before we get any further, here's a piece of very important information. When God's word says husbands are the leader, He is far from saying that his role is king, tyrant, ruler, or boss. Okay, to fully understand this topic, we need to go back to the beginning, to the first marriage, Adam and Eve. Now, in Genesis 1, we are told of the order of creation in a very general or a macro sense. The Word tells us about each day of creation, and in verse 24 of chapter 1, we are told about the sixth day. God created all of the creatures that move along the ground on that day. And then in verse 26, he says, Let us create man in our image. Now a little side note here. It says, Our. So this is God, the Holy Trinity. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit right here at the very beginning. So, Shell, would you mind to read verse 27? Sure. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So I want you to notice something. He created man, and most likely he meant mankind. The reason I'm saying this is because he immediately followed that up with male and female. He created them. So all we know from this scripture is that man and woman were created on day six, and that they were made in his image. So in chapter 2, We see further details about the creation of man and woman, and we see that Adam was made first, and God said that it was not good for him to be alone. Now, everything he made in the six days of creation, he pronounced that it was good until this point. This is the only time he said it wasn't good. And why? Because he was alone. And so that's when he made woman, or Eve. And then he said that it was good. In fact, after he finished creating everything, He declared that it was very good. Now I'd like to make two points here about that. Number one, it took both man and woman to represent fully what it meant to be made in God's image. And again, how do we know that? Because it was not good when man was alone, and then it was good after Eve was made. And his goal, as he stated, was to make man in his own image. So, number two, based on that, Man and woman are created equal, both necessary to fully express God's glory. 
So in terms of value, they are equal in God's eyes. So the roles of husband and wife were defined by God. Now at the creation, God made man first. And in 1 Timothy 2, verse 13, we see that this is a significant point. We won't read that, but you can certainly look it up. It appears that this means that God has assigned him the role of the spiritual leader of the two. And then when he created Eve, he assigned her the role of being a helpmeet or a helper. And then after the fall, God clarified a little bit of the roles of husband and wife. So let's take a look at that. We all know the story. Satan enticed Eve, and then she enticed Adam. Now it's interesting to notice who was acting as the spiritual leader at the time of the first sin. Clearly it was Eve. She was the one talking to Satan, while Adam just stood by passively. And yes, it does say that Adam was right there with her during that time. And Eve took the lead and ate the fruit first, and then gave some to Adam and he ate. But when God confronts them about this, we see that he started with Adam. He went to him first as the spiritual leader. So let's look at this in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 12. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from that tree, and I ate it. Now we know that God, who is omniscient, meaning he knows everything already, knew what had taken place. That is why I think it's significant that he confronted Adam first. And I don't want to make too much of this, but... Do you think that maybe God was showing that he expected Adam to be the spiritual leader and protector? But then after that, he turned to Eve. So let me just read verse 13 to you. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So she just passed the buck right along, and God then turned his attention to the serpent, or Satan, and he pronounced a curse on the serpent and then told Satan what would become of him in the end. So in terms of roles, we see first, as we've already discussed, that God went to Adam first because he was the spiritual leader and protector. Adam failed to do this, resulting in the fall. Now what if Adam had stood between Eve and the serpent and rebuked Satan for attacking God's word? Well, we'll never know. So then after cursing the serpent, God then moved up the chain of responsibility, so to speak, to Eve. Shel, would you read Genesis 3, verse 16? Sure. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Okay, so first thing is childbirth. Now, what was obvious to every human being since the beginning until just, oh, I don't know, a few years ago, is that women are the ones that bear children. So, one of her roles would be to bear and nurture the children. And that was always the role, but sin brought pain into it. 
Also, we see her desire is for her husband's position as leader. But God said that she would be subordinate to him in spiritual matters. And so then God moved up the ladder of responsibility again to Adam. So let's continue reading in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, that you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So with Adam, there's really three things here. When God said, because you listened to your wife, and then ate of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat of, he is clearly demonstrating that Adam was expected to take the lead. The role of spiritual leader is expressed by God as Adam's responsibility. Number two, he talks about how he would have to work hard to provide for his family. Now in the Garden of Eden, God provided. Now Adam would have to do it, and it would be difficult. The role of provider was established. And the third, because of Adam's sin, death would come. God said, from dust you were made, and to dust you shall return. Okay, wives, this is the part where we naturally tend to bristle and push back. But I encourage you to please hang in there with us. Listen to everything that we have to say, because it's what the Bible has to say. And because in Him we have hope. In Him there is freedom. His plan for us is far superior than our minds can even imagine. It's God who created us, and he created the man and the woman for specific reasons. Okay, so let's think about sports teams. Football, basketball, even in cheerleading. They have different positions or roles. And to operate best, each of these teams have captains, and some even have co-captains. So let's keep this in mind as we move forward. So Greg just read, according to the scripture, that the primary role for Adam was spiritual leader and provider. And for Eve, her primary role was helper, then childbearer slash nurturer. These roles are God's ideal for us. And when we follow in his ideal for us, we're blessed. But because of sin, we mess it all up. Women, I think most of us can understand the depth of the curse God put upon Eve in Genesis 3.16 to greatly multiply our pain in childbirth and then the second part that our desire will be for our husband and he will rule over us. I don't know about you, but for me personally, it just doesn't take much for me to slide into the leadership role in our home, especially when we had small children. Here's the thing though, men When you've not stepped up to be the spiritual leader of your home as God intended for it to be, the wife steps up for the children. But that's a role God never intended for her to be in. Now for clarification, when we say the man is to be spiritual leader, we're not saying he is a ruler. What God intended, as we see in Ephesians 5, 22 through 28, is that husbands are to love, lead, and serve their wives just like Jesus Christ did for his bride, the church. So spiritual leader means servant leader. 
So men, when you're getting this right, we wives are more apt to be the wives that you desire us to be. So let's talk about the dreaded title of helpmate or helper. I don't know about you, but when I hear that word helper or helpmate, I think of menial or trivial tasks of little value, not requiring much skill. You know, like mommy's little helper, keeping us bared down doing busy work, or like being a door holder in elementary school. We treat the role of helper as being intended for any mindless dingling. But oh, how wrong we'd be. The only thing in God's creation that he created and declared it not good was man alone. This was why God created women. Taking the Hebrew meaning of the word helper in Genesis 2.18 means that we women have been given immense influence for good in our husbands' lives. Women were designed by God to help our men be all that God wants them to be. We are our husband's helpmate of equal standing in importance, not a subject to be ruled over. We are God's solution to our husband's shortcomings. Having said that, we are not higher in position, and we are not lower either to our mate. We are simply opposite to him, or in other words, we are just right for him. A helper suitable, both of us created in God's image. That was a good word to the ladies, huh? Now let me speak to the men. Husbands bear the spiritual responsibility first and foremost. Now I keep emphasizing spiritual leader, spiritual responsibility, because that is the highest calling we have as a husband. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we are to be leaders. Like Michelle said, we're not rulers over everything else. Elsewhere in Scripture, we are told to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So you got to ask yourself, How does Christ love the church? Well, the answer to that is you have to get to know your Lord by reading his word. Another thing that Jesus did for the church was that he died for the church. And you know, we say that so often that it really kind of loses the punch or the effect. When was the last time you just really meditated on the sacrifice of Christ? I mean, think about it. He is the great I am, or I like to say he am. (laughs) But to Take that further, he is the creator. He is God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What could he possibly gain by dying for his creation? Nothing. It was all give. It was all love. There was no quid pro quo. Now, husbands, would you die for your wife? Being a godly husband requires no less than that. But that's just the beginning, because I bet you even a lot of ungodly husbands might be willing to take a bullet for his wife. That kind of speaks to the role of protector, which we all kind of feel just innately, I believe, as a man. But there's so much more to it than just that. A spiritual leader leads her in the way of righteousness. You lead your wife into the truth of God's word, and this doesn't mean preaching for an hour after supper every night. So what does it mean? Well, as I alluded to a minute ago, You have to be in the Word so that you know biblical truth. You need to be the one, as a spiritual leader, who says that teaching is unbiblical if you encounter it. So you have to be the one to say we're not going to sit under unbiblical teaching. You must take your family to church, a church that you have vetted, so to speak. Again, you have to make sure that they are preaching the truth. There's plenty of churches out there who teach heresy and unbiblical things. 
And as a spiritual leader, you need to be the one who recognizes the error and protects your family from it. Just like in the garden, when Satan was deceiving Eve, Adam was expected to step between them and say, no, you are not right, Satan, get behind us. But as we know, he failed to do that. Okay, now listen up. This is important. Being the spiritual leader does not mean that you are the better Christian. It does not mean that you are more spiritual than her, whatever that might mean. I would say that in the majority of American Christian homes, the wife is the more mature believer, or has been a believer longer, etc. Far too many men think wrongly that since she is the stronger and more mature Christian, the thing to do is to abdicate the role of spiritual leader and let her do it. But no, you can't do that. God has placed you in that role, and it is not negotiable. Now, if you don't do it, she will have to. So if the wife is being the spiritual leader, by default, it isn't wrong. It's just not God's best. It's not what he had planned. So in God's plan, you still have to be the leader. She may always be the stronger Christian. We all stand or fall before God as individuals. Remember that we are equal in that respect. But let me put this into terms that most guys can understand. Suppose a brand new 22-year-old second lieutenant is put in charge of a platoon of soldiers. That platoon also has a 40-year-old battle-hardened sergeant. The sergeant has much more combat experience, and if the lieutenant is wise, he will consult and learn from that sergeant, but ultimately, the lieutenant is responsible for the safety of the men. If he leads them into an ambush, it doesn't matter what the sergeant thought about that plan. He alone is responsible. So men, you have the responsibility to lead in spiritual matters, whether you're the stronger Christian or not. You can't shirk that responsibility. So learn the Bible. Learn to recognize the devil's schemes. Now also, a godly husband provides for his family. Now that doesn't mean he has to have the better job. If your wife is a skilled surgeon, she will obviously provide the lion's share of your income. But however, you must still be her protector, both spiritually and physically. If her career is placing her in danger on either front, it is still your responsibility to take care of it. How you would do that in a situation where your wife is working somewhere else and you don't have any control, I don't know. But I do know that you don't escape that responsibility. Now, do you want to stand before the Lord one day and explain that you didn't provide or protect for her because she made so much money? I don't think that that will fly with the Lord. Now, guys, I am not saying that your wife has to quit her job and stay at home. That's not what this is about. But you have to realize that your role as her protector and leader is still in force even if she is working in a job outside the home. But I do believe it is best, it is God's plan, that the woman be home and raise the children while the man provides. I think that's clear from Scripture. It's not sin to do otherwise, but it is his plan. So, again, we're just taking that from the Word of God, and you can argue with him if, if you don't agree. But that's how we read it. Okay, I'm going to talk about some of the other roles that wives have. And I'm going to be reading some quotes from Barbara Rainey. She's with Family Life with her husband, Dennis, and they have some great resources for marriage. 
In Ephesians 5.33, we are told to respect our husband. Here's a quote from Barbara. When you respect your husband, you reverence him, you notice him, regard him, honor him, prefer him, and esteem him. She goes on to say it means valuing his opinion, admiring his wisdom and character, appreciating his commitment to you, and considering his needs and values. Then she goes on to say love our husbands. In Titus 2.4, that can be described as unconditional acceptance, although he's imperfect. We love him by not withholding intimacy. He should never feel rejected by us in this way. Aside from valid reasons for not being intimate, uh, such as health or trauma, etc., save energy for him and prioritize this aspect of your marriage. Now we get on to submission. To be honest, this word brings out hostility for many of us. We fear losing our identity and worse, and rightly so. Too many in the church have condoned women being used or abused by incorrectly understanding the scripture. When husbands live out their calling, they make it easy for us to live out our calling. I feel like that we've been throwing a lot of stuff at you, like water coming out of a fire hose, especially since this episode on marriage roles was by special request from listeners. We felt it necessary to dig deep and not gloss over anything. It's time for real help. Number one, be certain you are each operating in the role God has given to you. Number two, if during this episode the Holy Spirit quickened your spirit and corrected you, you may need to confess and repent both to God and to your spouse. He is so faithful to redeem us. He desires for your marriage to be restored. Okay, so the roles that we have discussed so far are the only ones that we see laid out plainly in Scripture. Now, we're not scholars, so we could have very well have missed something. To be clear, there are other roles mentioned about male and female functions in the church body, but that's not what we're talking about, although there is a little bit of overlap or correlation there. In our culture, there have been traditional roles that have been part of our families and our debates, frankly, for years. Who mows the lawn? Who cooks the meals? Who cleans the house? And who takes out the trash? But we must not let these social constructs divide us. We must not put undue importance on these things. When you get the biblical roles right, the other things just kind of fall into place. So husbands, listen up. Although the wife is the primary nurturer for the children, you better not make it only her job. You may be secondary, but you better still hug your kids, kiss their elbow when they skin it, sing to them and play with them. You also need to be cooking meals, scrubbing the toilets and things like that. You two are a team, okay? Work together. When one or the other has a strong skill set, allow them to take the lead. Now, I'll give you a practical example of that. Early on in our marriage, Michelle took care of all the bills, paying them and writing the checks and so forth. And that was mostly because she had a stronger background in financial matters than I did, and that worked well. But after so many times of her saying, uh, there's two days left till payday, you need to not spend any money, I finally said, what are you doing? I believe I could take care of things better. So I took care of things. And about two weeks later, I'm like, oh, 
I was begging her to please take the finances back. She definitely was and is better than I am at that. In some marriages, the man might be the financial leader, and ours, Michelle is, but that works. And I don't think it's ungodly. It's just us working as a team and using each other's strengths. So in determining the daily roles, the two of you just need to work that out. And keep in mind, there's different seasons that we go through in life. For instance, I used to love to do things outside, and uh, actually I'd rather be outside than inside. And during a season of Greg working a lot of overtime, I would mow the grass because I wanted to help him, and I enjoyed being outside anyway. So the roles aren't always just clearly defined and you stick there. Also, when I went into a season of chronic illness, guess what? Greg was handling most everything in the house as well as working outside of the home. So I kind of feel like that this next statement is a you understood type of statement. But talking to the women, what better thing can we do for our husbands and our marriages but to pray over our men? Are you a faithful prayer warrior? We can most help our husbands become the men God intended them to be by prayer. Before closing down, I just want to say that if you're still pushing back on the division of roles, I challenge you to go look at Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 and see what this ideal godly woman looks like. And notice that the heart of her husband trusts in her, that she does him, that she does him good and not evil, and that her husband is known because of her. So with that, friends, we're going to close this episode out. And I hope that we've been coherent in our ramblings today. This is an important topic. But it's one that's often misunderstood and worse, misapplied. As always, if you have any questions or comments, or you need just more clarification on something that we said, you can reach out to us through sandpapermarriage.com. We encourage that. Just remember, you're not alone in this. We're sitting right beside you.